Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Welcome to today's episode, everybody. We've got a real treat for you today. Today's guest is truly a jazz giant. When you mention his name, I've had a chance to say to some people, we had him in Milwaukee at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival recently, and I had a chance to mention to some people that he was going to be playing our festival or talk to people about him playing our festival. And whenever I mentioned his name, people's, their eyes got big, their faces got animated, and they're like, are you kidding me? Bobby Sanabria is going to be at your festival? And he's an eight-time Grammy-nominated drummer, percussionist, composer, arranger, documentary filmmaker, educator, and radio host. I'm tired just saying all that stuff. He was born in the South Bronx of Puerto Rican descent. He's played with the likes of Tito Puente, Dizzy Gillespie, Jean Lucien, Ruben Blades, Manhattan Transfer, Celia Cruz, and a list that's way to mention all of them. He's a master of jazz styles, so many different jazz styles. He's received countless awards and was recognized even by the U.S. Congress for his contributions to music and education. Welcome to the show, the legendary Bobby Sanabria. Bobby, thank you for joining us today, man. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a great opportunity to share my thoughts, so thank you for giving me that opportunity. Oh, man, it, it is totally our pleasure, man. Such a long career, so many accomplishments still doing all the stuff you've been doing for so long at the highest of levels. How do you keep the fire burning, man? Well, actually, it, it's pretty easy. The music inspires me constantly. And uh, you mentioned that I'm an educator, so uh, I teach on the, I've been teaching on the college level, particularly at the New School University for 28 years. Wow. And my students always inspire me. They can be uh they can give you headaches too. Yeah, anybody, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anybody who's in edu- involved in education will tell you that, but for the most part they're always inspiring me and in, the music uh, in terms of what we call jazz is an incredible African Caribbean art form because I always say that because New Orleans is in my opinion the northernmost city of the Caribbean. Yeah, huh. It will, you know, is in good hands. So yeah. the, the future looks bright. That's fantastic. I tell you, when I listen to your music, I hear so much richness. I hear so many layers of complexity. And I hear so much passion. Like, how do you describe the music that you've been making all these years? Well, I mean, I call my big band. I have various groups. Yeah. I have uh, my Cuarteto Ache. Ache is the Yoruba word for positive energy. I have my Sexteto Ibiano, which is the Yoruba word for soul. I have uh, uh, my Nanet Tentet Ascension. And I have the uh, multiverse big band, and I call it the multiverse concept, which was inspired by a great Mexican writer by the name of Octavio Paz, who said, who wrote beautifully. He's a writer, he's a poet, very well known in Latin America and worldwide. He said that the greatest of civilizations are always a conglomeration of different ethnic groups, different racial groups, et cetera, all coming together. And it's like a beautiful salad. It's all mixed together and it tastes good. But when you look at the salad, you can see the colors as well, all the individual colors. So it's it's that's my concept, and that's what constantly inspires me. I have so much to draw upon. Yeah, because in Latin America we have twenty two countries, 
and all of those countries are informed by one place, Africa, in terms of our rhythm, because our rhythm comes from Africa. It's yeah. it, it, that's incontrovertible. So uh, you take a place like Colombia. Colombia mm -hmm. has about 150 different styles of music. Yeah. It's just amazing. And then my own ancestral homeland, Puerto Rico, we have dozens of styles of music in different genres. Like we have the bomba tradition, which is our most African, but within that complex bomba, we have about 17 different genres or styles. We have the Aguinaldo tradition, the Christmas music tradition, the Hibaro music tradition from the mountain people in the countryside, the farmers, etc. So those are just a couple of examples. And of course, when we're talking about the African-American experience, we're talking about jazz and everything that's related to jazz. Yeah. R&B, gospel, it goes on and on and on. So yeah. there's a lot to draw upon. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so funny. Our, our producer, Hansel, is from Colombia. And, oh, okay. and just before we got on, we were talking about you. He was telling me how he saw you doing a master's class on YouTube or something on rhythm. And he was talking about how you just mesmerized him and how you were just so knowledgeable. And I said to him, I said, yeah, I said, you know, that's the that's always the response I get when somebody talks about Bobby. And it's really cool, though, that you, you know, that you're so mindful of the origins of all of this music. And you work so hard to keep those origins alive, but very present in your music as well. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, hello to Hansel and all <laughs> my Colombian brothers and sisters out there. Yeah. Which are, there are many. There are many. Yeah. yeah. So how did, your, how did you develop your love for jazz? That's an interesting story. I'm a product of my environment. Okay. When I was a kid growing up in the South Bronx, well, I was very lucky because I grew up in the Melrose Projects. Okay. The specific building I grew up in was 681 Cortland Avenue on East 153rd Street in the South Bronx, in the Monroe section. So that housing complex was predominantly African-American. Uh-huh. 90% of the people that lived there were African-American. The other 10% were people like my family, Puerto Rican, my mother and father. And there was still, believe it or not, some uh, Irish and Italians. Okay. That and some Jewish people that lived in the projects at uh -huh. the time, but they were in the minority. So I was, uh, I was the beneficiary of all that because I was immersed in black culture since when we talk about black culture, specifically African American culture. Yeah. I heard blues and jazz constantly coming out of people's apartments. There was a gospel church right down the hill on East 153rd Street. I used to listen to them on Sundays. Uh, singing these beautiful, incredible hymns, et cetera, et cetera. There were still a few Jewish synagogues uh -huh. left in the South Bronx. I used to hear the cantors singing yeah. in temple. So all that affected me. But from a jazz perspective, also, I was the last part of a generation that grew up watching and listening to jazz yeah. and experiencing it through TV. Yeah. I saw Count Basie. I saw the Buddy Rich Big Band. I saw Duke Ellington. I saw Louis Armstrong. I saw Ella Fitzgerald. I saw Sarvor. I saw all of these people on shows like the Ed Sullivan Show, the Dick Cavett Show, the David Frost Show, yeah, the yeah, Mike yeah. Douglas Show, Johnny Carson and the Tonight Show. All of these shows had bands, big bands, the Hollywood Palace, and they would feature jazz artists because jazz 
was the music of the generation of those hosts. Mm -hmm. And I also experienced jazz through, believe it or not, the cartoons of yeah. the day. Okay, okay. When you listen to the theme song to the Flintstones, Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. Yeah. I mean, that is basically George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm. Uh-huh. The same chord changes. And, of course, any jazz musician knows when they're on the bandstand and somebody says rhythm changes. And they go, what key? They mean play the chords to I Got Rhythm so okay. they can improvise over it. So all those themes, Top Cat, Top Cat, Zubaduba, uh -huh. the leader of the band. Well, you're hearing a band there that sounds like Count Basie's orchestra. Also, the Jetsons. Yeah. All of those themes were written by one guy, Hoyt Curtin. Huh. And he was a jazz pianist. Okay. And he had access to the greatest studio jazz musicians in Los Angeles at the time. So he was able to write whatever his mind, his incredible mind captured it in his stream of consciousness. And he was able to write these incredible theme songs. Little did I know that I was listening to jazz and being yeah. nurtured by it. And we also had a great jazz station in New York at the time, WRVR. It was a 24-hour jazz station. Uh -huh. And all of the uh, other stations that played what today are, is known as urban music, yeah, which is, is code for black music, yeah. well, WBLS, Frankie Crocker was the uh, program director. Everybody knew him as the chief rocker, Frankie Crocker. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd say, if your radio isn't on, you're tuned in to Frankie Crocker, then your radio isn't on. You know? uh -huh. so, so he was an African-American gentleman. I believe he was from Buffalo, New York. But he was a big jazz lover. And he wanted to, his audience to be cosmopolitan. So he would play Gladys Knight and the Pips. He'd play James Brown. And all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, he's playing Moody's Mood for Love. Yeah. James Moody. Or he's playing something by Dizzy Gillespie. And then he'd follow that with something by maybe Santana. And then maybe something by Tito Puente. Mm -hmm. So it was an eclectic mix uh, uh, in terms of radio. And his moniker, I always remember this. He came up with this moniker for the station, the total black experience in sound. Huh. So what is... The black experience that that is Tito Puente, that yeah. is Tito, that is Santana, uh, that is uh, James Brown, Gladys Knight, The Temptations, etc. Because all that music, the rhythms come from where we've been, to, what I've been talking about, yeah. Africa. They're rooted there. So he had this really unique vision of uh, f for his listeners, and he had parted it. And uh, he was a tremendously gifted uh, radio announcer. As you well know, he's a legend in black radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just radio in general. Not black radio, just radio in general. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's so great you mentioned that because, you know, you talk about, you know, Frankie's style and Frankie wanting to present all of those different types of music and all of those influences. And radio, you and I had a little brief conversation about this not that long ago. We were talking on the phone. And radio has changed, and you're a radio host as well, like, I feel like it's so hard to find anything that's not formulaic anymore, right? It's hard because uh, obviously uh, radio, like any business, in terms of, well, in terms of radio, you depend on listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, those are your customers, and you want to get as many listeners as you can. 
I think what happened was going back in history when the FCC was deregulated. Mm-hmm. A lot of these stations that were similar to the station WBLS in New York City, like Frankie Crockers, were bought up by conglomerates. And these conglomerates wanted to make money, so that a lot of them were, were converted to talk radio, yeah, to sports, to sports radio. And they, you know, they're just look, they're just run by uh, bean counters, and the bean yeah. counters are going, what is going to make the most money? Yeah. Well, I love R&B, and I love soul, and I love jazz, and I love Afro-Latin music. Yeah, yeah, but if you play country-western music, and there's nothing wrong with that, you'll make more money. Yeah, yeah. But that's not the music that I'm into. Yeah, but you want the station to stay alive and thrive and make money? Well, this is what's happening. So you have uh, many of these conglomerates that bought these stations converted these great stations that were regional mm-hmm. and, and served local communities. And we're at the cutting edge of FM radio at the time. Yeah. They fell by the wayside. That's why what you're doing is fantastic because uh, you, you've taken the bull by the horns and say, okay, we're going to do this format. We're going to do this. And yeah, thank and you. we're going to interview people like m- m- yours truly. You yeah. Know, yeah. To expose them to all the different uh, various flavors that jazz has to offer because jazz is really fascinating it is jazz in my opinion is the only art form that can encompass and draw upon every other art form that exists yep you're so true you talk to a musician what inspired you to do the composition oh well i was in the louvre in france and i was watching the paintings and i looked at the mona lisa and you know i looked at this other painting by Van Gogh, and that inspired me to write this blues. You yeah, know, yeah. So that's just a small example. Or I was in Puerto Rico. Uh, I visited. I had an opportunity to go to Venezuela or Colombia or Cuba, and I met the local people there, and they exposed me. Like, say, a musician like Etienne Charles. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. A musician like Etienne Charles, who happens to be from Trinidad, which is an English-speaking Caribbean island. Right. But he's embraced the music of Puerto Rico, Cuba, and Haiti in his music. And and you hear it coming out in his music. Yeah. As a composer. So those those are simple examples right now of how jazz works in many myriad, in a merry myriad number of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of course if you grow up listening it's like if you uh are into R&B but you're also a jazz improviser, there's no reason that you can't draw upon that. Mhm and utilize that to express yourself. That's one of the things I like about your approach to to this music too, Bobby, is that, you know, you see jazz for what it is. You see jazz as this big, huge, this big, huge basket, if you will, right? It's kind of like a cornucopia, right? And there's so many different things that can be in there, different flavors, different colors, different textures, but it's all a part of it, right? And And, and I think that's one of the things that I'm hoping I'm seeing coming back some is a little bit with with ad with the advent of people like you know the Robert Glaspers or the Kamasi Washingtons of the world or even the Snarky Puppies where we're hopeful and the fact that now like everything was so radio dependent back in the day but now we have all these other platforms be it a podcast or be it what streaming or whatever that my hope and my prayer is that you know people will have access to all these different beautiful things that fall into this quote-unquote category or genre of jazz 
and have an opportunity to sample and experience them, which will keep the vibe, will keep the vibrancy alive with the music. Yeah, I mean, the basic thing, the basic tenet of jazz is basically, it was born out of all of these things. Of course, it was born from the African-American experience, the African-Caribbean experience in New Orleans, and it drew upon all of these elements. But let's not belittle the point. It is African-American music. It represents people's struggle. It was survival music. It was yeah. resistance. It was resistance music. And of course, at its fundamental core is the blues. Yeah. Improvisation. Every culture all over the world uses improvisation. Mm -hmm. But the way we use it in jazz and the way we tell stories in jazz is a very unique, special thing. And that's why it always has to have at least some element of the blues in, in it. And uh, whatever style you like, whether it's something like you mentioned Snarky Puppy, of course, you could mention classic artists like I mentioned Dizzy Gillespie and yeah. Count Basie before, or you can mention yours truly. Yeah. You know, that element always has to be there in some way. It could be just the, the way somebody bends a note yeah. using blue notes a blue scale in the music, a pentatonic scale, which is a scale that goes all the way back to Africa, a five-note scale. I mean, I'm giving you simple examples, and I'm trying not to be too technical for the audience that, that yeah, are listening. Yeah. But these things are what make up the music, and of course the rhythms, yeah. the rhythms that, that we utilize from the African-rooted Caribbean through New Orleans and Cuba and Puerto Rico, and that's where I come in. So, so yeah. it's... it's a, it's a really cool thing, and it's a big responsibility. I, yeah. I don't take it. I don't take it lightly. When I go up on stage, even when I'm a side man, yeah, a side person working for somebody, and I I try to impart that on my musicians. That what you on my musicians and and also on uh, my students. Yeah, I tell them you have a big responsibility when you get up on the stage because you're representing hundreds of years of struggle, survival, and strength. So that's what the music exudes always for me. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I got a chance to witness that firsthand, folks. And if you ever get a chance to see this man on stage, get your tickets, get front row tickets, and go in there with, uh, with a smile on your face and trust that you're going to leave with an even bigger smile on your face. Because when you were in Milwaukee recently, man, uh, we were just blown away. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, like I, have a, I have a great deal of respect for your craft. But it's a different thing when you see someone who has such reverence for their craft and who literally on stage gets lost in the music. Like like you see it and you feel it and it makes for such a great performance. And man, seeing you guys on stage here, I, I was just I was just I was transported. It was the coolest thing. Thank you. And uh, I have to give thanks to Gabriela Anders, the the leader on the date in Milwaukee. That, what a beautiful theater, the Paps Theater. Amazing. Gabriela Anders, great vocalist, fantastic. She's from Argentina. Yeah. She's fantastic because she is a formidable musician. Yeah. She is a, not only a vocalist, but she's a fine arranger yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. On the latest album that, that she has out called Gabriela Anders y Los Dukes, referring to Duke Ellington. Yeah. She took all the Duke, she picked out music from the Duke Ellington songbook, music associated or composed by him, associated with him or composed by him. And she actually wrote out arrangements and vocal arrangements for herself and the members of the group and the, and utilizing various Afro-Latin rhythms. So 
it's just fantastic what she did. Everybody should check out the album. And, and she's just a formidable musician. And many people know of her work when she was signed to Warner Brothers yeah. uh, for her smooth jazz work. But the, she's gone in many ways beyond that right now. As, yeah. And she's a formidable jazz improviser as well. So she's, working with her is a, is a treat. It's a pleasure. She trusts us. Yeah. And, and that's what it's Clearly. all about. The, yeah, is that's what it's all about when you talk when you see great bands on stage. Yeah, it's because the musicians trust each other. The leader trusts the musicians. You know, you take it from there, and we, you know, uh, the result was the the great performance that we did for you. For yeah, your audience. it was wonderful. It was wonderful. So, I mean, you know a lot about this, though, as a band leader, meaning leading so many different bands. Your reinterpretation of West Side Story was a huge hit, widely acclaimed. It was nominated for a Grammy, reached number one in the Jazz Week radio charts, and was named Record of the Year in 2019 by the Jazz Journalists Association. How did that project come about for you, Bobby? It's a long story. It took yeah. about ten years. It took about ten years. That was when wow. I was teaching. It, it, it was that was when I was. The story, the root of it, goes about ten, back about ten years. I was teaching at the Manhattan School of Music. I taught there for twenty years. Uh-huh. I left there about five, six years ago. But uh, with my students, we would always do theme concerts. Okay. So I had done a concert in honor of Machito, the great Cuban uh, vocalist and band leader, and that anybody wants to get into this music, especially Afro-Cuban jazz, check out the Machito Orchestra. Okay. They were the first ones to fuse jazz arranging technique with uh, Afro-Cuban rhythms. Others had hinted at it before. But they really codified it in 1939 in New York City. So Afro-Cuban jazz, the first form of Latin jazz, was born in New York. It's an American art form. So I did a theme concert in, in, for him, reproducing Kenya, the greatest album that he ever, that band ever did. It was a big band under Mario Balzaz's musical direction. And it was called Kenya Revisited Live, and it was nominated for a Grammy. So then I did, then uh, Deborah... Kinsler, who was the head of publicity at the school, says, well, now you got to do Tito, your hero, Tito ah. Puente. And I, and I had been avoiding that. Okay. She goes, well, she, goes, <laughs> you know, she goes, you can't avoid it now. So, And I did it, and I did an, we did an album called Tito Puente Masterworks, which was nominated for a Grammy. Oh, cool. And that was recorded live at the school as well. So then, in one year, the then president of the school, whose name escapes me right now, but hopefully it'll come to me in a second, said to the entire faculty, I want you to do concerts related to movie themes. Huh. So I did a whole concert related to themes in movies or music from movies uh-huh. adapted to Afro-Latin rhythms. So we closed off with the mambo scene from West Side Story. Uh-huh. And uh, I assigned it to one of my then students, Danny Rivera, who was a baritone sax student. He has been playing in my big band now for many years. And he did a fantastic job adapting it, restructuring it. And people don't understand the art of arranging is taking something and hopefully making it better. And yeah. then, but also with the with the tools that you have at hand. In this case, the tool was the tools were a big band, five saxes, four trombones, uh, four trumpets, and a full rhythm section. So he did a great job, and that put an idea into my head. And I said, Wow, I have to eventually do the entire score. Yeah, wow. And when it was my 60th birthday and also the 60th anniversary of the premiere of West Side Story in 1957, I started putting it together. 
with myself doing some of the arranging and some colleagues of mine and also some current students at the time. And the result was an incredible mega concert we did at the Manhattan School of Music. But the concert was too long. It was two and a half hours long. Okay. The, Berns the Bernstein family was in the audience. They loved it and everything. But it was just too demanding on the student musicians, okay. especially the brass players. So I started editing it, editing down the music, editing it down using my arranging skills. And I got it down to about an hour and 15 minutes, okay. an hour and 20 minutes, which was manageable. And then I said, now I have to play this with my own multiverse big band. Yeah. And we did it at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola, which was a very dangerous thing. I was sweating bullets because we only had one night to do it. Wow. We, we, we had played three nights. We were playing three nights, but the last night was the night we were going to record. Okay. And in the audience was Jamie Bernstein, one of Maestro Leonard Bernstein's daughters. Wow. But not, not I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, okay. At the time. Okay. She had been invited by Janice Siegel, the vocal, lead vocalist for the Manhattan Transfer. Yeah. They're, they're, they're best friends. Okay. So Janice beforehand tells me, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing somebody on Sunday, the last night of your engagement. <laughs> I go, who? I go, don't worry about it. You know, so. <laughs> wow. So anyway, the band rose to the occasion. And the result is this incredible two CD set. We did the entire score and we got the accolades that, that you mentioned. And I re I'm really proud if you really want to hear musicianship yeah. from a jazz perspective, from a Latin music perspective at the highest level. Check out West Side Story Reimagined. And the money goes to Puerto Rico, my ancestral homeland, through the Jazz Foundation of America. Yeah. So we've helped about 100 musicians on the island since the two hurricanes, recent hurricanes, and the current one now. So uh, it's it's been a labor of love, and that's how that came about. So so it, it, it's a nice backstory. It's interesting. But it's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears at the same time. But you know what? Everything that's worth it is 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 usually it cause there's a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears involved in it. So how about we take a listen to G Officer Krupke from from that great release, your reimagination of West Side Story.
a family guy. That was Bobby Sanabria and his multiverse big band with their Grammy-nominated West Side Story reimagined song, G, Officer Krupke. So how did your musical journey get started, Bobby? What were the beginnings of that? Well, if you listen to our, what you just listened to, G, Officer Krupke, there's about 10 different rhythms mm-hmm. morphing one into the other. There's uh, starts off with Bomba Sica, which is a rhythm from the Bomba complex from Puerto Rico, my ancestral homeland, the most African of forms. Then it goes into plena, which is another Puerto Rican form. Then it goes into funk. Then it goes into swing. Then it goes, you know, it goes into all these things. And all those things were happening at the yeah. same time. But what happened with me, besides listening to all that great music and and seeing it on TV, and I'm a child of the Beatles and everything. I was yeah. born in 1957. So I saw the Beatles when they first came on to the Ed Sullivan Show. And I was singing like every kid in the neighborhood, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, and all uh-huh. that stuff. <laughs> but when I saw groups like the Count Basie Orchestra, and I saw Duke Ellington, and I saw drummers like Sonny Payne and and Buddy Rich, I go, man, this is drumming on a different level, man. Yeah. This is like, it was so exciting. Uh, Louis Belson, Gene Krupa, all these people I saw. I saw Tito Puente when I was 12 years old. He played in front of my building in a big concert. And we had a tradition in the parks in the South Bronx at the time and through East Harlem and South Brooklyn of the rumba tradition from Cuba, people getting together, playing conga drums in the park. Mm -hmm. So imagine it it starts, you know, at sundown and it's it's midnight. And you're still hearing in the basketball courts, you're listening to that at night, yeah. and nobody's calling the cops, uh-huh, uh-huh. telling them, telling them uh, hey, there's people playing conga drums in the park. I can't get any sleep, man. Yeah. You know? In fact, if the drums, the drumming stopped, People would call up the precinct and say, hey, yo, something's go- going on. Huh. All of a sudden, the drums have stopped. Okay, <laughs> okay, nobody, okay. The dr- nobody's drumming in the park. It's, it was very much like, I've talked to my brothers and sisters from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. It's very much like New Orleans. Yeah. Music constantly happening. You, you might, all of a sudden, our second line yeah. marching, back, marching down the street. It's 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock. And you gotta, and you know, instead of being mad, you're, you're glad because, yeah, oh man, yeah, yeah. it's on, it's on. So that was my upbringing. That's how I got started playing hand drums. Uh-huh. The first instrument I ever played was congas. Okay. And I still do it. In fact, just before this interview, uh, the day before yesterday, I was doing a recording session playing congas for an artist. So, uh, in a recording studio. So, that was the beginning of it, and then, of course, watching all of these great jazz drummers. Yeah, and I was always, I was always intrigued because I noticed people would talk about say things. Well, you got to decide. I go decide what? What do you want to be? A Latin musician, uh-huh. a jazz musician, a rock musician? I go. Well, what if I want to do all of them? Yeah, yeah. And when I heard Willie Bobo playing drums and timbales on an album by. Herbie Hancock called Inventions and Dimensions. Uh-huh. And I also heard him playing with Cal Jada. He'd be playing beautiful 
straight ahead swing bebop drumming on certain tunes and then he'd be playing super fly you know afro-cuban style timbalas on a jazz mambo yeah with Cal jader or doing it with herbie hancock and then i saw i heard santana with that great mixture of jazz rock and afro-cuban rhythms and sometimes brazilian rhythms i said oh man I could do it all. Yeah, I, yeah. I just have to, you know, find like-minded musicians. Eventually, I, when I became a leader, and I got my musical training in the, as I always say, in the streets of New York City, and I got uh, my bachelor's degree in music from the Berklee College of Music. I was a drums and percussion major. I did a double. My major was applied music, which means you had to take eight semesters of jazz drumming and eight semesters of classical percussion. Wow. So it was it was the most difficult degree to get at the school at the time, but okay. I didn't know it until yeah. somebody told me in the lunchroom one day. Uh-huh. They go, "You're in applied music." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I think today that's called the the total percussion degree at the school. Okay, but I learned so much. I love the school. I even taught there for a year, and uh, Berkeley is doing some incredible things as far as uh, embracing the entire world of uh, cultures yeah and all of the musics that exist in the world so that's where i got my formal musical training i got my bachelor's degree there but i always say i got my master's and phd in the streets of new york city yeah it sounds like it like first of all for those who don't know like berkeley is like the tops of the top for music training like the the people who go to berkeley and the people who graduate from berkeley and study at berkeley like, these are the best musicians on this planet, you know, truly, right? The other thing, though, Bobby, and listening to you and just listening to your, your it, it's looking at your looking at your face as you talk about this stuff and listening to the inflection of your voice, it's like, it feels to me like you were destined for this and like you have just been a sponge of history and music history and the relationship of those things and all of that comes out in, in, in what you produce. Well, thank you. Well, well, the inspiration for that was my father, the late great Jose Sanabria. My father was a history buff mm -hmm. and he should have been at least a high school history teacher. Yeah. But he was a machinist, uh -huh. a humble working class guy. And uh, he was very inspiring because he worked in a factory in Long Island, in Valley Stream, Long Island. So it mm. took him two hours to get there to wow. work in the morning, and two hours to get back home. Wow. So that's four hours out of the day of traveling. Yeah. Imagine yeah. going to Philadelphia every day to yeah. work and then coming back. That's the distance he had to transverse. So part of his ritual was, he well, he bought a Lazy Boy chair. He'd eat dinner. And my mother would tell me in Spanish, Siéntate al lado de tu papá, a tu tarea, sit down next to your father if you want to, and do your homework. Okay. And my father's, how would he relax? He'd sit that lazy boy chair and he'd be listening to music. Huh. So I'd listen to what he listened to. Yeah. Harry Belafonte, live at Carnegie Hall. Huh. Ahmad Jamal. Oh, yeah. You know, Machito, Tito Puente, Tito Rodriguez, who to us are like the holy trinity of big band Afro-Cuban mambo music and the folkloric music from Puerto Rico, like artists like Ramito and, and others. So I, mean, I remember when my father bought Sex Machine by James Brown uh -huh. at 45. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, you always look at your parents as like, oh, they're corny. Or, or, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my father puts it on and I, knew, I was aware of the song already. 
but I couldn't believe it. I said, you like this? He uh -huh. goes, yeah. He goes, you don't like it? It's not funky enough for you? you know? <laughs> he actually <laughs> said that. <laughs> oh, man, my father was a trip. But uh, I loved him dearly. But he gave me the gift of love for history and the, the spark to be inquisitive and curious. Yeah. Because he bought home Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, Mas Que Nada, that okay. song. And 1962 was the year that the Bossa Nova hit big all over the world, especially mm -hmm. in the United States. By 1966, Sergio Mendez, the great pianist, had formed this group, got signed to A&M Records, Herb Albert's record label. Yeah. And, uh, and Jerry Moss's record label. And they came out with this album, Sergio, Herb Albert Presents Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66. They were on Eartha Kitt's TV special. Yeah. And that song Masquenada was on the radio and he bought it he bought it as a 45 like he did any of the popular music at the time. So he puts it on and I fell in love with it. Those of you who are familiar with the song it has that beautiful chant in the beginning. So that freaked me out. And but then I hear the lyrics and the accent is different. It sounds like Spanish, uh -huh. but it isn't. I asked my father, I said, Pop, that, and we're talking in Spanish. He goes, that sounds like Spanish, but it isn't. It's like, he just went like this. <sighs> <laughs> he goes, get the globe over there. Uh -huh. So I get the, the globe we had. He goes, come over here. He starts pointing to the Africa. He goes, the reason you like the music is because of this place. Okay. Africa. Okay. This is where the rhythm comes from. Uh, the reason you you think it sounds like Spanish, but it isn't, is because the language comes from this place, Portugal. Uh huh. And this is where our language, Spanish, comes from. And he points to Spain, and then he starts talking about the slave trade, and he, he's, he's wow. like, uh, and he starts he's telling me all this stuff. I'm looking at him like, oh my god, I didn't know my father, you know, was uber hip. Yeah, yeah, you know, like. Like, like, uh, hip really means highly intelligent person, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so he's explaining the whole, he's breaking it down for me, the real deal, Neil, as we would say in the Bronx. And I just, man, I was almost in tears afterwards, you know, because he, he, he started telling me, then he told, that's why you always have to be proud of where you come from, son. Yeah. Because your blood has African, has Amer Indian. And it has also European, yeah. And and some you know some of and some of us said there's even Chinese in there, yeah. Jewish, all the stuff is in there, and the music reflects that, and that's why you like it so much, and you know. But it's Portuguese. They're speaking. They're singing in Portuguese, but with a Brazilian accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then he starts telling. We speak Spanish with a Puerto Rican accent, with a New York Puerto Rican accent. He goes, at least you do. I speak with a Puerto Rican accent because I, <laughs> I, I grew up in Puerto Rico, but you speak with a little bit differently than me because of that. You grew up in New York City. So, you know, he's laying it all down for me. Yeah, yeah. And that's the, that's the beginning of me becoming an educator, mm -hmm. becoming inspired, and then, you know, becoming voracious. I remember my father, one of the greatest, the greatest gift he gave me, he bought me an Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh-huh. When we couldn't even afford it. Yeah, yeah. And he bought it for me because he knew I wanted it. 
So the first thing I did, what do you think the first thing I did was? Uh, you went to Africa. No, I went to Puerto Rico. You went to Puerto Rico. Okay. That's my ancestral homeland. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and it's all written in that dry prose, Puerto yeah. Rico, in the Caribbean Ocean, 50, you know, 50 miles wide. I'm looking, then I started looking at Africa and the same kind of thing. Then I started looking at Cuba. Then I started looking for entries on the music, like mambo or, or cha-cha-cha, anything, nothing, nothing. And I said, where are we? Where? What, how, I mean, I don't understand what what's going on. That started a lifelong quest that still is continuing to this day of finding as mo- out as much as I can about what we are yeah. collectively in this multiverse. Yeah. Where in Puerto Rico is your family from, Bobby? My mother is from a small town, a small city called Jabucoa. Uh-huh. It's on the southeastern part of the island, which has been devastated, completely devastated in, with the last hurricane. Yeah. Jabucoa had a beautiful modern baseball stadium uh-huh. that a lot of minor league teams and a lot of major league teams would go there and and play and train there occasionally. That's been completely destroyed. And my father's from Guanica, which is in the central southern part of the island, another coastal city. Guanica was famous because it had the largest sugar refinery okay. on the island at one time. Okay. In fact, the remnants of it, if you stand right in front of the remnants of the, the, that factory and you look to the right, where my father grew up was about half a mile down the road. Wow, wow. And, and that place, the infrastructure is still there. It's been abandoned. Okay. People have done videos there. A lot of great Puerto Rican artists have done videos there, et cetera. So they come from two sugar refining towns, and uh, they are what we call hibaros. Hibaros are the mountain people from the island that are mixed with African and American Indian. Well, we are mixed like that, Uh, or what what people would call in New Orleans, Creoles. Yeah, yeah. So so, uh, they're like the heart and soul of the island. Sometimes people use that word hibaro mm-hmm. as a derogatory term, like a hick, like you're a country oh, hick. okay, got it. Or like people would say maybe in the African-American community, oh, well, he's country, man. Yep, 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 yep. But those country people are the heart and soul yeah. of any group because they're the, they're the workers. They're the ones making sure that there's food on the table yeah. for all of them. And oftentimes, you know, they're the holders of our stories and our legacy and our history, right? There's so much, you know, so much is passed down by by that. I mean, my, my parents come from rural Tennessee, and I, I sat around people telling the stories of our family and of our experiences, just like you did with your dad, right? And it's amazing how much that makes an impact on you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, um, I remember... Once, uh, just before he passed away, my grandfather on my mother's side, Don Ramon, my mother's name is Juanita, my father's name is Jose. Don Ramon, my mother's father, my maternal grandfather, he was 98 years old. Hmm. And he was still farming in the mountains of Jabucoa. My mother's from a a barrio called Hacanas. Okay. Which is, you got to, I remember when we first went there, when I was 12 years old, when I was 12, a lot of great things happened. Yeah. You know, but seeing Tito Puente, one of them was going to Puerto Rico for the first time. And we had to take, we got up, go up this mountain. All of a sudden, one of my cousins said, okay, we got to get out the car now. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, well, what are we going to do? Because you'll see, some, another one of my cousins comes down with this Jeep from this dirt road. Okay. Get on the Jeep, and he goes in Spanish, don't look down. He tells me and my sister, don't look down. Huh. And, of course, I looked down. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was like, you ever seen Ice Road Truckers, man? Oh, when, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they're like in Dubai or something like that. They, uh-huh. you know, it, and I look down, I go, oh, my God, you know, and, he's, and he goes, don't look down, you know, and one of the wheels is hanging, it's a dirt mud road, and finally we get to the clearing all the way up at the top, which seemed like forever, and you smell what hopefully I'll smell when I pass away, you know, you smell uh. the, all the, the smells of all the animals, you smell everything, the yeah. crap, everything, yeah. you know, the, the, the smells of dogs, horses, mules, chickens, huh. everything. And the and the countryside is just gorgeous, just gorgeous. Wow! So I got to visit my grandfather before my maternal grandfather before he passed, and he's talking to me, and he has a hat on a fedora, and everything, and he had in the shed that he had built, he built the house himself. It was it was a house, but it was you could describe it as a shed. On a, one of the beams, he had a nail. And on that nail was a little newspaper clipping with my picture from the Daily News. Wow. A few years before. Wow. And I started crying. It was like, he, and, you know, hugging him and, you know, oh, man. Because I, I didn't think he knew anything of what I did. That is so cool. Because he, he's, he's been isolated up there, you know, and he, but doing what he does, farming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we walk outside, and he starts, and you smell coffee, and you smell plantains, and you smell yucca, and all these tubers and everything, and you're smelling the grass and all the animals. He he goes, why would anybody want to leave this? He's talking to me in Spanish, and in Spanish, everything sounds more dramatic. Yeah. So he's telling me, why would anybody want to leave this? This is God's paradise. Look at the what, what the what the land provides for you: coffee, yeah. oranges, everything. You know, like watermelon, whatever. His yeah. name, he's running it down. He he was kind of like to go hearkening back to my mother, who was the first in her who was the first in her family when she was eighteen years old. Said, "I'm leaving the mountains. I want a better life. I want okay. I want to come to New York City. Yeah, yeah. And and he's saying, you know, why would anyone want to leave this? Yeah, yeah. And I says, uh, you know, and I says, I, Grandpa, you know, I, Abuelo, yo sé lo que tú estás diciendo. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, but uh, but look at me because of because Mom left. She had me yeah. and I had yeah. this great life. And so we had a nice philosophical discussion that uh, to this day I remember distinctly so it's exactly what you you were talking about when you speak with the elders yeah it's so profound and i encourage anybody listening to who's a young person hopefully that's listening to this first thing you do is not only respect your elders but uh, speak to them yeah no doubt about it no doubt about they'll it get, they'll, they're there they got the knowledge they won't give it to you Unless yeah. you ask for it. Yeah. Because if you don't ask for it, it means that you're not interested. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, let's get into another one of your songs, Bobby. Um, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing this one right. This is, is it Cachita? Yeah, Cachita was written by the great Rafael Hernandez, Puerto Rico's most distinguished composer and Latin America's most beloved composer. And he has a unique tie to jazz because 
1917, he was recruited by Lieutenant James Reese Europe, this great African-American band director who was the band director in the all-black regiment in World War I, the 369th Regiment, which became known by the French and the Germans as the Harlem Hellfighters, the most distinguished battalion unit in World War I. They fought in more battles, won more battles, suffered less casualties than any other unit. They were an all-black regiment. At the time, the army was segregated, but Colonel, I believe his name was Hardman, was white. Uh But the whole unit was made up of of black troops. And Lieutenant James Reese Europe, he was a very well-known band leader in New York City. He's responsible for developing the Foxtrot as a dance. Mm-hmm. It was Vernon and Irene Castle's great ballroom dancing team. He was their musical director. And, uh, well, he was recruited to lead this band. And he want, his concept was to have a marching band, but with that had the sound similar evoking strings. You can't march with, with violins, cellos, violas. So he he figured I'll I'll use as substitutes clarinets and trombones. Cool. So he had to get well trained black musicians and he went to Puerto Rico to get them. Uh-huh. And in nineteen seventeen the Jones Act happened, making Puerto Rican citizens. That wasn't the reason that they were uh, recruited, but it just facilitated things and it made things easier for him and the colonel to go down there and uh, recruit these musicians. So 18 of them were recruited, and amongst them was Rafael Hernandez, who played trombone in the band. He played many instruments. But after the war, he became known as this incredible force of nature compositionally. He studied Uh composition in Mexico. He led a theater band in Cuba for three years. I mean, and... uh, he wrote a piece of music in 1929 called Lamento Borincano, Puerto Rican Lament. That is okay. like our second national anthem. Huh. So he wrote this tune, Cachita, and it refers to the nickname of the Yoruba deity, Oshun, uh-huh. who is the deity of love, beauty, romance. Want to fall in love? Pray or ask Oshun or Ochun, as she is called in Cuba, for help. So her nickname is what? Cachita. All right. And she loves to dance. All right. Well, let's take a listen to Cachita.
Baila y mueve la cintura Gallina salborota Esa negra de sabrosura Gallina salborota Mira que cadera, mira que cadera Gallina salborota Mira como mueve la cintura Gallina salborota Rica, rica cachita Gallina salborota
everybody. That was Bobby Sanabria's version of the song Cachita. So, Bobby, I you're influenced by so much music. You've been around so much music. Can you peg for us what you would say are your top three albums of all time? Wow, that's a hard one. Yeah. But <laughs> one of them is The Breakfast by Santana. Okay, okay. I was, we, I was talking about that album yesterday with uh-huh. someone. That's off the top of my head right now. Another fantastic album that James Brown Live at the Apollo. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh anything by uh Count Basie or Duke Ellington. Yeah, okay. 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 You know, from the latter years, from the, the late fifties on, like you could start with Atomic Basie that came out, I believe, in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the album it's called the atomic basie with the nuclear bomb on the cover exploding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and then and, and anything from Duke after that. I mean, it just amazing. I mean, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah. Watch when we finish the interview, I'll be going, <laughs> Oh man, I should have mentioned this album. I should have mentioned that album. It happens to everybody yeah. and me all the time too, but it's awesome to hear those because those are all wonderful, wonderful works of art. One more mm-hmm. question. I'd love to ask all of our guests. You're having a dinner party. And you can invite any three people, living or deceased, who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu, Bobby? Well, definitely rice and beans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's staple. Yeah, yeah. Rice and beans. Uh, and we could have anything from uh, pernil, which is uh, 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 roasted pork. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, which is a, a bit, you know, it's a famous meal in, in Puerto Rico and mm-hmm. also in Cuba and the Dominican Republic. Uh, and, uh, wow, three people. Well, let's, let's make it five people. You can make it five. Go for it. <laughs> well, Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Don Ellis, uh, the great co- trumpeter, composer, arranger, band leader. Uh, Luis Moro Gochak, who is, uh, considered the first true virtuoso that the United States produced. He was what we would call a super Creole. Ah. He, he was from New Orleans, Louisiana. He grew up right over Congo Square, and he was part Haitian, part German, part French, part everything, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he loved drums. He loved drums. So so I would suggest anybody check out A Night in the Tropics by him. You can check it out in on YouTube. And many of his incredible piano pieces and Etc. Uh, so those three: Leonard Bernstein, Don Ellis, Luis Moro, Gorchak, uh, Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that? Four. Yep. And uh, just uh, ju- uh, probably. Well, I, I've played with Dizzy, so I knew Dizzy. Yeah. Uh, probably Charlie Parker. Oh yeah! Wow. And That's... and as a as a you know uh, as a wild card, Buddy Rich oh. just to, <laughs> oh, man. just to just to uh, throw in some f- fuel to the fire, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, that that sounds like a great party. That sounds like one heck of a party. Uh, I mean, you know, Bobby, our you know, I am so glad. Oh wait, 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 and yeah. one more. I I have to include. I have to include a lady. And that would be Celia Cruz. Oh, Celia yeah. okay, Cruz. okay, all right. Because, uh, I got to perform with her, but I never got really to speak to her. Okay, to really get 
I'd love to learn more about her background when she was young, growing up in Cuba. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I, I'm disappointed that our time seemed to just fly by here in Bobby. I mean, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I've so enjoyed, you know, your learning of your background and just your, your just your such a deep well of knowledge, man. How can our listeners get more of your more of your music and get more information from you? Give us your website and any of your social handles and stuff so people can 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 go and search out your music, man. Right. Well, my website is very simple. It's bobbysanabria.com, B-O-B-B-Y-S as in Sam, A-N as in Nancy, A-B as in Bobby, R-I-A.com. You can find me on Facebook. I have two Facebook pages. I have a fan page and a personal page. The personal page is a little bit more in depth. You check out what I'm really up to and I give my opinions on things, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm on Twitter and I'm Instagram. I'm at uh, the Bobby Sanabria. So that's how people can uh, find out what, what I'm up to. Yeah. And also, I, I just take the opportunity right now. We have a new album coming out awesome. next year. It'll be out probably in March or April. Okay. It's going to be called Vox Humana, Human Voice. Ah. And it's with my multiverse big band, my 24-piece multiverse big band. Wow. We just recorded it at Disney's Club Coca-Cola this past June. And uh, it features Janice Siegel from the Manhattan Transfer. Oh, great. Antoinette Montague from the Duke Ellington Orchestra. Wow. And Jennifer J. Ledesma, who's half Puerto Rican, half Dominican. She grew up in the Bronx just like me, and she speaks French, Italian, wow. English, Spanish, and a little Greek. Wow. No and she kidding. can sing in all those languages, and she's uh, a powerhouse. She was a former student of my many, many moons ago at the new school, but she's a talent deserving wider recognition, and she's good. you're going to be able to hear her on this new album. And it's a departure for me because I've featured vocals on the all my big band albums, like one or two cuts always, but... This entire album is all vocals. And I'm in the midst of mixing it right now. I'm very, very pleased with it. And it's uh, something that I think will surprise a lot, a lot of people when they hear it, especially with the power of the big band. That's great. That's great. Well, man, we want to wish you all the best. Continue doing what you do. Continue being the light that you are. Continue being this repository of knowledge and 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 passion for this music and for the bringing together of people, because that's one of the things that your music really does, man. And we're so excited to have had you be able to share a little bit of time with us and wish we wish you all the best, Bobby. Gracias. Y para todo el mundo que está escuchando, gracias por la oportunidad, Carl. I just said thank you for everybody that's out there listening. Thank you for the opportunity. It was a privilege and an honor. Awesome, man. All the best, Bobby. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Backstage.